lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author whose mission is to help people achieve a deeper connection with their horses through his transformational training program. Just because he knows that you know. G'day everybody and welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Shower, and today I have a very special guest. If you have listened to one of the very, very early episodes of the podcast, I talked about being at a horse expo and being told about Brene Brown at some point in time. So no, I'm not interviewing Brene Brown today, but that would be great. But the person who mentioned Brene Brown to me for the first time was a lady named Barbara Schulte, and it's Barbara that I'm going to interview today. Barbara, um, you know, she grew up around horses and actually went to, uh, after high school, she went to college and she got a master's degree in speech pathology. And for a while there, she was the administrator at the Arizona State School for the Deaf and taught at the University of Arizona in Tucson. But then her love for horses kind of led her back to the competitive arena and she started training. She was training cutting horses. And uh, that was in about 1983. And by about 1986, she read a book called Mental Toughness for Sports. And she began to incorporate some of that training into her her own uh, regime, and after that, about three years after that, she or four or five years after that, she, things really took off for her. She's a cutting horse trainer. So in 1988, she won the NCHA Derby. In 1992, she won the NCHA Super Stakes, and in 1992, she won the Augusta Futurity. And if you're not from the cutting world, those are some really, really big deals. Like people will go their whole career and possibly never win one of those. And so by about 1994, she really recognized the powerful benefits of that Mentally Tough program. So she became certified as a personal performance coach by the organization that does that. And that's what she does these days is really travels around and she does cutting horse clinics, but she also teaches the, the, mental, the mental toughness part of the whole thing. In 1998, she published a, a first book, which was called Cutting, One Run at a Time, and it provided like key, inf- uh, key fundamental information for amateur and non-professional cutters to learn how to ride and show cutting horses. Um, then in 2002, she was awarded the National Female Equestrian of the Year by the American Quarter Horse Association. Then in 2012... She was inducted into the National Cowgirl Hall of Fame. So Barbara is just an amazing person to meet in real life. I mean, I love hanging with her. She's just, she's one of the coolest people I've ever met. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Let's see if we can have a chat with Barbara Schulte. Hey, Barbara, how are you? Hey, Warwick, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Happy to be, I'm happy to be here. Thrilled. Thank you. I'm I'm thrilled that you are here. (laughs) So you're at home right now? Yes, I am. I'm in Are Brenham, you, Texas. You're in Brenham, Texas. Have you um, you have you been home for a while? Like, has this whole COVID thing kind of changed your year all around? Well, <laughs> that would be the understatement <laughs> uh, if it changed my year all around. But yes, uh, it's interesting. My event or my springtime events, most of them, but one were canceled, and so just like everyone, I was home. 
um, and all of the summer. And then a lot of them got postponed to the fall. And because they were outside, we ended up doing them. And because of my schedule that already existed, as well as the rescheduled ones from the spring, I ended up having an almost exhausting schedule this fall. And one of my events just got canceled. And that's the reason I'm home right now. And I'm sorry that it got canceled. Certainly. I am happy to be home, though, and looking forward to being home for a while. It's interesting when you're home, you really kind of start to enjoy that part. But anyway, it's all good. Yeah, I've been home for quite a while now, and it's yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, why don't you tell us about, so you said you had some different events cancelled. One of them was retreat. Why don't you tell everybody about what different things you do? do you, you know, you do mm-hmm. clinics and you do retreats. Can you tell us a bit more about those? So I do cutting clinics that are just straight for, you know, cutters. I, that, that is the kind of horse trainer that I am and that I spent 35 years doing and showing and competing. I also do rain cow horse and there's, you know, cutting people come to those two and then they just ride with me. Uh, clinics with Sandy Collier and they're called Be Unstoppable and we have an awesome, awesome time. And it's been really fun because I have learned a lot about Rain Cow Horse and I've learned a lot from Sandy. And I found that I really enjoy collaborating. And then there's also a woman in Texas, uh, her name's Shannon Piggott. And we do this event called Club Cowgirls. That's kind of a hybrid between retreat, you know, fun women getting together and also working cattle, and she does some stock horse of Texas events like trail, and uh, so that's fun. I get to learn about that, and then I do retreats with Sandy Collier as well. That was the, unfortunately the one that just got canceled in Moab, Utah. That place is magical, magical, and the dude horses there have uh, foundation rain cow horse training, so that's really fun. So we work cattle there. And then I also do retreats at a place called Sea Lazy U in Granby, Colorado. And I, I did two of those retreats this year with Julie Goodnight. And I love you. I love all the people that I work with. And I would say that's one of the biggest treats of this era in my career is working with other people and learning from them. But anyway, we do a women's retreat in the spring. Julie and I do. And then we did a um, co-ed retreat this past fall. Okay. So how much, I mean, I know you're really big into the whole mentally tough thing. How much of that do you incorporate into all this stuff? The, the, the you know, the straight cutting clinics, the retreats, uh, how much of that goes into that? Because I, I imagine once you really get your head around that, you can't separate it from the rest of life, it just becomes a part of what you do. Yes. Boy, that's a big question. So, um, you know, Warwick, when, when I first studied at the, it was called um, LGE Sports Science, you know, back in the 90s, it changed, it really changed my life. And I learned about you know, the, the premise is how to perform under pressure. And I, by premise, I mean, that is like the 
umbrella, I would say, like it was developed for Olympic and professional athletes, how to perform under pressure, like when it was time to go that you could be your best and you wouldn't leave it, you know, at some event that you that you didn't that didn't matter. But what I found is that it's really all about energy and it's all about learnable skills and it's really about a way of life. Okay, I'm morphing it now over time. And so nothing I do in my daily life or with horses or with teaching is really inseparable from that because I'm having goosebumps because I know the power of that and I know how it you can gain access into experiences and into um, just learning and being that unless you really learn a lot of those tenets and practice the skills and that's what I loved about when I first began to study there and continued to study there how you could how I could learn and also then how I could teach the very tangible tools that it wasn't just a bunch of airy fairy stuff and so when you ask me how much a part of it it is I guess that's kind of going to like saying Barb how much a part of the nose on your face is a part of you it just really isn't it's it's inseparable for me yeah well there's whole podcast is called the journey on podcast and you know i talk mostly it's about people's journeys and i think on your journey as you as you get deeper insights you can't separate those from anything else it just becomes a part of who you are tell us about when you first went to that place what was it called lge is that what it was yes at the same era at that time it was called lear grapple etchberry it was the initials of three men in uh, Orlando, Florida, and Dr. Lair, the L and the LGE, he um, is a sports psychologist, and he was one of the initial people who did research with the highest level performers, and he learned that it was the same. It didn't matter what these people did, like if they did baseball, if they did football, they did whatever, that they all had the ability in common to call up a very specific state of emotion that was characterized actually by a combination of emotions, but calmness, confidence, focus, and high energy without being overstimulated, like not like revved up uh, energy that felt out of control, but with like just stellar focus like you were in um he explained it initially like you were in a great white light and it was shining down on you and the best of you was in your thought and was in your being and in your muscles and in everything that you did and because of that you could perform at your best and that the highest level athletes not only knew what that state was they had the ability to call it up on demand. So what he did was quantify it through breath rate, heart rate, um, nerve tension, or you know, muscle tension, saliva test, all of those things. Um, he spent years doing the basic research in that. And he is um, 
one of my greatest mentors in my life and someone I so respect because his heart is huge, massive. And he, he took me under his wing and asked me if I wanted to be a certified performance coach for equestrians because I went down there with a group of women and I said, yes, absolutely. So then he, I'm kind of babbling, so just tell me. Um, but this is, this is a great story, okay? So um, he was, he's a jock guy, you know, with tennis shoes, of course, and tennis player and is working with all those high-level golfers in Florida. And he's asking me about the horse world, and I started talking about English and Western, and I have no idea why I decided to do this, but one discipline I picked was barrel racing for Western. And with the other one was jumping for English. So he's listening to me really intently. And he goes, Barb, exactly how many barrel jumpers do you think there are? (laughs) So I never, ever, ever let him live down the barrel jumpers and ask him forever if he was going to come barrel jumping with me. So, um, Anyway, I'm sure there's some barrel racers that have jumped the barrel and probably some jumpers that have jumped the barrel. But anyway, uh, so that's how it all started. And so I, I continued to study. It was later called the Human Performance Institute. And then that just really took me on a journey of just great passion, just so interested in that because I lived it. And I saw the effect. I, I immediately, by immediately, I mean in the next year to two years, won two major events in cutting, became the first woman to do that, um, and to win those events, uh, saw it, applied it to my horses, uh, taught my clients. And so it really changed my life and then uh, really impacted my life when our son passed away. I found that I was really u- utilizing the same principles because I understood them and I understood the impact not only on our performance, but also on our lives. So, Yeah, I think they're pretty hard to, um, to separate if, if at all. Uh, well, yeah. So you just talked about your, your son passing away. So you think mm-hmm. that the, the, um, the mental skills that you learned at the Human Potential Institute actually helped you with that that whole grieving process? And Oh, Warwick, there is absolutely, there is zero doubt. I'll, I'll, let me give you one really good example. Because the whole high-performance training, of course, like any training, has many facets to it. And there are a few really key fundamentals. And one of them is what's called recovery. And what recovery means is that all of life exists in a wave and that we put energy out and then we get energy back. For example, you're up all day and then you sleep at night. You know, uh, we have heart rate, we have brain wave, our lives exist in waves. And so with that, if we're not trained in this, we tend to live by putting energy out, putting energy out, putting energy out, but we don't give a lot of thought to getting our energy back. And he would say it was like putting 
spending money but not putting any money back in the bank and if you don't put money back in the bank you don't you go broke well it's actually it's just like a horse if you when you stop and you you've been doing something and you stop and you let them take this huge breath that is actually when they learn they were stimulated to learn when we were asking them to do whatever, but it's when they stop and take a big breath and change their heart rate and their brainwave frequency that they learn. Okay, so that whole idea of recovery was huge for myself in my personal exercise program, in my personal sleeping, in my training with my horses. But when it came back, when it came to when my son passed on, I knew that I had put so much energy out because he had bone cancer that I had to get my energy back. So I gave myself permission to rest, to not work so hard because sometimes in grieving people say, and I'm not saying this is wrong because it's different for different people. Oh, just keep going. Just keep yourself busy. Just don't think about it. It'll be okay. And for me, I knew that I had to walk through that grief and I had to rest. And it was huge for me to give myself that permission. And it was very healing. And for the first time in my life, this sounds pretty amazing, probably to people that have loved horses and, you know, just hug on them all the time. Not that I never hugged on horses before, but I was so busy as a child in our family business. And then as a trainer, that I just would walk to the barn and I'd put my head in a horse's neck and I could feel the healing power of the horse. And that was a huge revelation for me. So that's one example of how my training at HPI manifested in my life. You know, it's interesting you said about how you hadn't really taken the time to, you know, like in the horse business, it's go, 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 go. And you are the person who first uttered the words Brene Brown to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> About mm, maybe four years ago, I think we met. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I've, I've read everything she's ever put out. My wife actually went to, to Austin, Texas last year and did the, the dare to lead certification with Brene. Mm -hmm. I know. I just, I'm jealous. That's great. And, you know, one of the things Brene Brown talks about yeah. is how mm -hmm. this whole culture of, of feeling like you need to, to work all the time. She said she, she spent the day in uh, an elevator in New York city in a, in a law firm, just traveling up and down the elevator, listening to conversations. And they'd all be in the two guys would be in the elevator and one's like, uh, what time did you leave here last night? Like, <laughs> Three o'clock. How about you? And he goes, I didn't leave. I'm still here. And it's like a badge of honor. Just, just that uh -huh. go, 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 go thing. And I think it's a, like, it's a bottomless pit. Like it's a one way street. You've got to take that time, take that time, you know, for yourself to rejuvenate. Otherwise mm -hmm. you just get burned out. Absolutely. And with our horses, we think of the training as being all about, you know, what we do with them or what we ask them and how they do it. And of course that's important. But one of the big ideas is that you have to train recovery. 
that's huge. You don't just leave it to happenstance. You have to train it because without the training of recovery, there's diminished return on the stimulus, the energy that you put out. So when you went to the, when it was, had the different name, it's it's the Human Potential Institute, is that correct? Yes, it's Human Performance Institute. Sorry, Human Performance Institute. I think there is a Human Potential Institute, which is totally different. That might be that thing in, there's something down here in Big Sur down the coast here. Maybe it was, it used to be called Esalon, and I think it's now called the Human Potential Institute. Very esoteric place. Um, When you went there, how long, how long was that initial training? Mm. The initial one was uh, three or four days, mm-hmm. and then I went back for, I don't know, four or five more times. And here's the funny thing, Warwick. So when I first had this conversation with Dr. Lair, he goes, well, Barb, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try it with you, and then if, <laughs> if it works with you, then I'm going to do it in football and baseball and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have these coaches and I don't, I, I think they took a different direction. <laughs> I don't know if it was because of me or because <laughs> I don't think so. But anyway, it was funny. It was like, well, not like a, nothing like a little pressure to do, to do the right thing in the equestrian world. So anyway. So before that, was he just training the athletes? He wasn't training coaches for the athletes. Is that, is that what was going on? Correct. He did a lot of research initially, and um, and then he um, he got really into business, into corporate training as well, because it's all the same, really. It's all the same. I mean, it's by the same. I mean, performance and the effect of positive emotion and the ability to recognize where you are in the emotional scale and to know how it impacts the body and the ability to think well or to breathe well or to do what we want to do it's the same it doesn't matter if you're in a sport or if you're a business executive or or what it is so he did a lot of corporate training i think he just actually retired recently so is that that um, Human Performance Institute is still going there? I, no, I think when he retired, it's owned by Johnson & Johnson, actually, in okay. Florida. And I think that whole company with Dr. Lair's retirement has changed direction. So I'm you know, the lucky one that got to be with him. Oh, that's very cool. It's interesting you talk about how he said it's the same for all of them. Is a, there's a lady, she's a, a mental coach, a, a um sports mental coach that I've become aware of through a friend of mine and she coaches um, PGA golfers oh, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. nationally ranked clay target shooters. Mm. And uh-huh. the information, information's all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, oh, because it's a gun, it's different. And because it's a golf club, it's, it's different. And I learned about her through a friend of mine who is a very high ranked coach. Uh, clay target shooter here in, in the states and um he actually flew out here one time and took my wife and i clay target shooting so i i'm the i'm the non-shoot the non-shooter in my family i you know my family i grew up on a farm and my dad two brothers they like to 
to shoot and hunt and things like that. My nephew is actually a two-time world champion clay target shooter. Oh, wow. Um, he won the junior world titles in Wales a few years ago. And then when he was a, when he grew up, he won the men's world title in, uh, I think it was in England or something or other. Um, anyway, so this friend of mine that flew out here that is the really good clay target shooter, he took Rob and I clay target shooting and he gave us about three things to think about when you were shooting these clay targets. And the last one to think about was he wants you to look at the light glinting off the top of the second lip of the clay target. You know, the clay target looks a bit like a UFO. There's a there's the top of it and then it comes down and then it goes down again. The, the light glinting off the front of that. That's the mm-hmm. last, that was the third step. There were two steps before that. And he, so he helped us and we started shooting and we got to where he could hit him pretty good. And then if we missed one, he'd say, what were you thinking about? And I go, ah, oh, I wasn't thinking about the light on the front of the thing. You know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> and and our, uh-huh. I was telling that story to our, a farrier I had a few years ago. He's now moved out of the area. But this guy was a team roper. He was actually a PRCA Rookie of the Year in the healing, you know, seven or eight years ago. So he's a really good roper. And he met a guy who was a really good golfer. And he was teaching him how to rope, teaching the golfer how to rope. And the, and the golfer was teaching him how to play golf. And during one of their lessons, Kim was the, the farrier anyway, he hit the ball and it didn't go where he wanted to. And the, the, the golf guy looked at him and said, which dimple were you aiming for? <laughs> it wasn't like hit the ball. Which of the, I don't know, 300 uh-huh. dimples on the golf ball were, you, were thinking about? It was, it was uh-huh. pretty cool. It was very similar to the whole clay target shooting. And it's mm-hmm. funny that, that that lady I've become aware of, she, yeah, she coaches um, clay target shooters and PGA golfers. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Cool. Yes, very much so. So as you know, I and the listeners know that I have a series of questions I email out beforehand. You guys get to choose, the guests get to choose some questions they are comfortable with me asking. And so I thought I might start asking some of yours, Barbara, because I think we may have already covered some of them anyway, but I think uh, I don't want to I don't want to wait till the end to ask him because you may have already covered him. And the first one that you chose was what's the most worthwhile thing you've put your time into, something that has changed the course of your life? Undoubtedly, um, that first trip that I took to Florida without knowing how it would change my life. And I went there because I was interested because I could see in cutting that the same people were always doing well, but they didn't always have the best horses. In fact, often they didn't have the best horses. So I wanted to understand. And through my sister, uh, she heard Dr. Lair on the radio and a group of friends and I went down there. And I say that's the most worthwhile thing because what I learned literally changed my life and I think has changed the lives of a lot of people and horses because of the principles really are the same for riding. Um, at the time, how, how, was your, how was your competing at the time? How were you, how were you going as far as your poten- living up to your potential uh, in the show pen at the time? Mm-hmm. Well, I had just been Well, I I grew up riding and showing cutting horses, but in terms of being a professional cutting horse trainer, I had just really embarked on my career a few years before in the Northwest and actually in Washington State. And then I found my, long story, I found myself in Texas and, you know, that which is really the mecca 
of cutting horses. And I was doing okay. I mean, I, I was making finals and I was doing okay. Um, but I just, I recognized the value of the training and it felt good and it changed my life. So I just was all four in and I started winning and I started placing, you know, being more consistent and winning some national titles that I'd never done before. So yeah, it really made a huge difference. Do you feel like you were one of those people that, you know, some people show better than they train. So you, you want them to kind of catch right a horse and some people train better than they show. Did you feel like you were one of the ones that you trained better than you showed? And then this training helped you be better mentally prepared to show. And then, and then your, your horse training could come through. Boy, that's an interesting question. I, well, I he didn't, think, tell, he didn't teach you to train cutting horses better, did he? No, he didn't. No. Yeah. But I was real clear how to apply it to my showing. And so I definitely became a better show person. And I get, became very clear about my job as a competitor. And I became, I was able to manage my emotions in the arena. But it really was in all parts of my life and in regards to the horses it changed my training with the horses so it was again one of those things that was inseparable but really obvious in the show arena very very obvious in the in the show arena i used to uh post on social media horse training from someone who's never rode a horse and i would see an inspirational quote from you know <laughs> muhammad ali or uh you know the Dalai Lama or who it didn't matter who it was, but it was all, uh, you know, I'd post these things, horse training, horse training, uh, from someone who's never trained a horse. And this guy obviously is not trained a horse, but what you learned there, you just said, not only it helped you with your showing, but it helped you with your, with your training. Can you outline some of the things that what you learned there helped you with your training? Yes. Um, I became acutely aware that if I was not in a focused, calm state, particularly if I was, you know, upset or worked up or even exhausted, that I wasn't going to do as good of a job, that I wasn't going to be aware of my horse, that I wasn't going to be able to be responsive to my horse. Um, and so I... I think that that was really one of the biggest things, that whole recovery thing. I, like every time I quit a cow, I would wait for my horse to completely relax and take that big breath beyond licking the lips, the huge breath, to the point where in a show, <laughs> it would turn around to go back into the herd. And if we didn't sit there for a moment or they didn't take their breath, and recovery is not a thing of time it's a thing of conditioning so once you get conditioned to do it once I would just start to quit a cow my horses would just take a deep breath but this one uh, time at a show I'll never forget one of my favorite horses I we started walking into the herd and he just turned around and looked at me like I can't believe you didn't let me take my breath <laughs> it was really it was really funny and Warwick I can't even overstate the the power of that particular piece and then just to be when 
when you're showing that you really are a performer on a stage and you have a definite job to do and you your most important job is to connect with your horse for the job at hand. That being said, when you go into the arena, whatever you've got at that moment, you are exhibiting that. So you never show any kind of negativity ever on the outside because our body, how we act on the outside is impacts our emotions. And if we get into a negative state, like, oh, I made a mistake. I can't believe I made a mistake. You know, and you're like loping two circles after that or working a cow and it's three turns after that. If you still are focused on that error, you're not connected with the job or your horse. So those kinds of things um, made just a huge difference. Yeah, that whole thing, if you're thinking about the mistake you just made, you are not present in the moment of what you're currently Exactly. What you're currently doing. Um, you just said a quote a minute ago that I, the last, so the last time I saw you was at a horse expo in where Minnesota, Minnesota, maybe? somewhere cold, I know. Yeah. Um, and I went, I got, you know, a lot of, as you know, at those horse expos, you're all over the place. You never really get to go and watch other people, but I got to go and see one of your demos and I actually wrote down a quote out of the mm. whole hour, an hour and a half you're out there, I wrote down a quote, one quote. It's in my phone right there. You know what that quote is? Mm-mm. No, I don't. Did, the one you just said. Oh, yes. Can you restate that? About, about I might re- need to learn it. About recovery. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. So what was that quote again? Because I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I said, but what I, mean, I... You said it exactly the same way you said it the thing. I might have to look it up I, on my phone here. I did. It is, to me of the many concepts that are tangible tools to learn, it allows you to regroup and to come back and allows you to let go of errors. And it resets your whole body and your horse's body. I'm sorry, I don't know exactly what I said. I'm just searching through my phone. Are you looking? Okay. I'm going to find it. Um, But it was was about that that resetting is not a matter of basically it's not a matter of luck that you can actually practice that it's a matter of training uh when i wrote the the quote down i remember oh, was, of, of conditioning conditioning yes i think i'm that okay so warwick this is what i love uh, so much about what i do everything is so easy to understand in practice you know, when you recovery, let me use a an, an physical example. Let's just say that you haven't been exercising, right? So you so you get out there and go, I gotta start jogging. Well, it takes about ten seconds and your heart rate's going a hundred miles an hour. And then when you start walking, it takes a long time for your heart rate to come back. But let's say I see you in two months and you've been jogging every day, then it takes a long time for your heart rate to come back in a very short time or to go up in a very short time for your heart rate to come back. It's the same thing with emotions. So you have to train recovery by waiting for like consciously stopping and waiting to lower your heart rate, breathing, thinking, and also with your horse to allow wait for your horse to exhale. 
And so it becomes conditioned and you just, you start to do something between cattle. So with the cutting horse and the minute you stop working a cow, you and your horse just take a big breath and it lets go of everything you just did. And now you have a very specific sequence for what you do to get ready for the next cow. I know that's not the quote in your phone, but I, I'm looking for it here and I can't find it. But I thought but, it would be on your screensaver after all these years. <laughs> uh, but what was what was interesting was that there was a girl and she'd cut one cow and she, you know, I think she lost the cow is what happened. Uh-huh. And she lost the cow and she kind of pulled her own and then she was going to wheel around and go back in. And you're like, stop, just, just wait, let that go. Just take a. And and you said that quote, whatever it was, that you know that 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 recovery, that resetting yourself, is a matter of training. And I didn't find your quote in here, but I did find a quote from I forget what book it was in, but it said Navy SEALs say you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. Absolutely. And it's the same thing. You don't you don't just all of a sudden get good at regrouping. You've got to practice that that. Uh, physically, but you've got to practice the mental part of it too. Yes. You know, Warwick, if if I could like get on the top of tall buildings and scream something off the top, and if I could make one impact into the horse world, that would be my big uh, thing that I left in my life. It would be the value of this kind of training because our where we are physiologically in our body which is our brainwave again our brainwave frequency our heart rate our muscle tension our breathing our ability to feel our core connection to our seat with our horse and to feel our horse moving underneath us with that through our seat and through our legs is dependent upon the state of emotion that we're in because of the connection to our body. And so that is something that can be trained. That's not just something that you wake up and you go outside and however you woke up that morning, but see, we're never trained to do that. You know, we're not trained by our parents to do that. We're not trained by in school we're not trained you know most horse trainers don't know it so not because they don't want to know it I'm not being critical about that I'm just saying they have to have they maybe they're not aware they haven't studied it but it takes training it's a skill set just like learning how to hold your reins or learning to teach a horse to spin is a skill set this is a skill set that must be practiced But because it's largely internal, a lot of times people think, oh, yeah, those are great ideas, really good ideas. But I have to go off my horse and I have to go like pull on the reins. I have to go, you know, do whatever. And they just kind of go out and they're either distracted or they're not paying attention or they're nervous or they're whatever. And they don't understand that that ability to do simple things like the recovery, which you know if you're there by how you feel and you can feel your heart rate lower, or planning what you say to yourself and planning where your eyes are when you were just talking about that um, 
it's the clay p- pigeon or the you know yep, the yep, shooting yep, yep. Yep. that that you like when you train your eyes like I'm talking about really train your eyes that connects to positive emotion and that positive emotion has an impact in your body and it has an impact impact on your thought and the more immersed we are in our job and our connection to our horse the more successful we can be in what we're trying to do but it takes training and you know what else it takes training forever um dr lara used to tell the story about athletes who would come and they would learn they'd be tremendously talented athletes and they would learn the skills and then they would go out and be, you know become number one in the world or whatever and then they go well i got this and i don't need to keep coming back to learn it well at the minute that you think that you have it it's kind of slips away because it's a focus and so then they would fall back down and then they come back again and so it's in the practice of it but also really understanding like for riding things like you know like what happened just before the error you know did you look down did you get tight did your horse get tight how did you respond what were you saying to yourself or not saying to yourself where were your eyes it is in the it's in the application of it consistently over time that makes the difference and is really fun if i could say so myself because it's such a great positive state of emotion yeah most certainly um i'm not sure when was that horse expo that we i saw you at last do you remember when that was i think it, it wasn't this year but it was last year was it last year because you know i i'm not sure we talked about it but i had uh i went to the world of question games in 2018 and we had a i had a mental coach during the year and went to the world of question games and and did way better than I thought we'd ever do. I actually uh, had two personal bests at the world of question games. And I I, I talked about it before, how it was the weirdest sensation because I was in the zone, like everything slowed down. Everything was clear. I was relaxed. I've never been that relaxed at a local show, let alone on the world stage sort of thing. And a lot of it had to do with a um, hypnosis tape she made for me during the, during the year that I listened Mm. to a lot that, got rid of the negative self-talk mm-hmm. and so that that the, the, and, and, and the, it was the subconscious negative self-talk not the not the conscious negative self-talk mm-hmm. and it was just amazing to to have that experience at that level of competition that I've never felt that way before and it wasn't it wasn't the physical stuff it wasn't like I I practiced more or like I was you know I hadn't been showing much for the last few years before that so but I was better in the show pen and leading up to it than I'd ever been. And it was just that mental side of it. And it was, yeah, it was, it was so cool. It's it fun. Like, Don't you think it's like so fun? Yes. It really is uh, because it's just you and your horse in that moment. It's that white light that you were talking, that Dr. Lair talked about initially. That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, I might head off to some more of your questions here before we get too carried away. The other, one uh-huh. of the question that you indicated you'd like to talk about is what have you changed in the past five years that have helped shape who you have become? Um, well, you, when you asked me about selecting the questions, I, I selected this one, not because I think, or the answer to it, not because I think I should have done it before, 
but because I made the choice. And it was a hard choice. And that was in um, the beginning of 2018. I stopped training horses for the public. So now just saying that, I, not that I'm going to get emotional, but I can feel the emotion on the inside um, because of my connection to my clients, to the horses, to competing, to all those things. That being said, I, I say that it was such an impact and something that I changed that impacted who I am because for all of my life, like when I was growing up, we had three to 400 horses and it really wasn't a choice if we could ride and show or not. It was our family business. We had their five kids. You know, we had a string of six horses in school year, 12 in the summer, and we were supposed to improve them and take them to the show and we sold them. And then I got a master's degree in speech pathology and audiology and decided I didn't want to sit in an office. And so then I, I went back because of my husband to, to training horses. And um, I always felt in my life, like I, the choices that I made, this okay, is another emotional thing, you know, like I couldn't get off of what I was doing. I, I couldn't change it in my family. Once I started training horses, you know, when you train young horses for futurity, there's always the next batch. What do you have? Two-year-olds, you can't stop training them to get get them ready for shows. Plus, the clients want to go wherever they want to go, and that's my job, and that's all good. And so to have the freedom to make choices and to really listen to the internal voice of who I am and to be me, and to take all that I'd learned, you know, through all the years and say, okay, now what I want, now what do I want to do? Which I'm still doing that. I don't think we ever really stopped doing that. Really has shaped me to become, I would say, more well-rounded and uh, kind of feeling like I can partake in other parts of life instead of only, you know, doing a, a competitive world. And so I've, I've loved that. Like, look at all the people that I get to teach with and have fun with and me, I've met you and it's, um, it's been really something. You know, it's interesting you say that because I've had pretty much the same experience. I think it was five years ago that I stopped training horses for the public. And one of the things for me, and this is just, um, you know, ego stuff or not, yeah, ego stuff to where the thing I was worried about, really, the biggest thing, honestly, was what will the other trainers think of me? Mm -hmm. Like you're quitting, you're giving up, you're whatever. But the path that I'm on now, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it without meeting you because you introduced me to Brene Brown and that the rest is history. But <laughs> I couldn't have gone down the rabbit holes I've gone down now and be having other people bring me horses and expect it a certain amount of change in a certain amount of time, you know, cause I used to take in, um, you know, problem horses as well as training the rainers. I mean, the rainers, it's a long-term process, but you know, I might, ha I might have dressage horses or, you know, jumping horses or whatever that have some sort of an issue come in and you've got a couple of months to, 
to fix it. And I, you know, I wouldn't have had the time or the freedom to go down some of the rabbit holes that I've, that I've gone down. So yeah, I, I totally, totally get what you, you mean when you say that it's, it's, it is pretty life-changing. And I'm going to ask your next question on the end of that, because I think you just hinted at the answer to this question then. But the next question is, what do you feel is your true purpose in the world? I think that my true purpose in the world is to encourage people and to give them the tools that unlock their own potential and also the potential of, of their horses. And that really thrills me. And I, I think horses are this tremendous gift that we all have in our lives that bring great energy. They bring great healing and they bring great, they bring great learning. And so I get to be with the horses and I get to share all of this information that I've learned and that I continue to learn, you know, like, like you, I just, Brene Brown's, um, research resonates so much with me and has added another whole dimension that Dr. Lair always touched on, but her work made it more clear. Uh, Daniel Coyle is another one. So, um, yeah, I, I get to, to continue to live that and to explore that. And Warwick, if I may, I just want to comment on, uh, that's something that I find is interesting when you said, what would the other trainers think? Because um, that whole dimension of our lives about what other people think and getting that, our sense of worth from external things, whether it's an award in a competitive arena or whether it's an approval from someone else, um, is, you know, it's fun and all of that. I'm not diminishing the competitiveness and going for the prize and all that. But it's all really the our own purpose, you know, and what resonates with us and having the courage to really pursue that when maybe not a lot of people really understand or maybe just a few people understand or there, that you get any kind of great external recognition for it. And actually, when I do surveys with the people, you know, our members and for our website, they always say that the fear of what other people think is the number one challenge that they have. But when that whole journey of listening to ourselves and having the courage when we don't know exactly where that's going to go to follow that, um, come what may is quite an adventure and very fulfilling. And it's very much a learning process because it's never really easy. I don't think. No, it's not. Um, I just, I've talked about it on previous podcasts, but I just recently went to a three day men's emotional resilience retreat. Um, you know, I was taught by a guy, he's a former combat soldier, has done lots of, he, he worked for Tony Robbins for two years, traveling around doing that stuff. He's done a lot of grief work. He spent the last couple of years in a deep dive with um, Gabor Mate. You ever heard of Gabor Mate? 
<laughs> he's one of the world's leading addiction experts. But uh, the whole – and this weekend was so interesting. There was seven of us, seven men there. Like one guy was a former UN hostage negotiator, you know, like wow. interesting people. But the the book that they based the weekend on was a thing called – it's a book called King Lover Magician Warrior. And it's it's kind of like a Myers-Briggs test where – you know, each we have oh. a part of each one of those, and and the king is the he's the he he's the one who decides this is that what our quest is. This is what we're going to do, and he does things for the good of others. And the lover part is the one who brings the empathy and the compassion. The magician is the the statistician. He's the you know dot all the eyes, cross all the t's, the black and white you know the type A kind of personality. Then the warrior is the doer of deeds. And they all have a shadow side. So if you if you have a part of that, but you get it wrong, like the the lover, the shadow of that is either addiction or uh, depression. The shadow of the magician is either passive aggressive or tyrant. You know. But anyway, the shadow of the king is the prince, and the king does things for the good of all. The prince does things for external validation. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of the whole thing was a lot of most men these days, you know, post-industrial revolution, we haven't ever had a a um, going into manhood ceremony or, you know, that we're all basically adolescents running around and we're doing a lot of stuff for that prince energy, that for external validation, whereas the, the king energy, you do things for the good of others. Mm-hmm. And it's just like what you talked about then. It's 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 hard to it's hard to 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 make that leap. And I remember being at the World of Question Games. One of the reasons I think I did, I was so calm there because I really didn't care what anybody thought of me. I remember getting interviewed. Someone flew out here from Texas who was doing some interviews with different people before the World of Question Games. And I forget what question he asked me here in our living room, but they were filming these interviews, and he asked me a question, and I said, I think my answer was, I. I I think that going into the world of question games, I, I don't really, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to, I'm not going to center my self worth on how well I do. It was was something like that. I was at the point where winning or losing in the show pen is not me. You know, it's not a reflection of who I am. And I think it takes a while to get, I think it takes a while to get to that point. Well, it was for me at least. Um, you know, I think it's a struggle for a lot of people. But that, yeah, that whole external validation thing. You know, being concerned about what others think about you. That's a. That's. A, I think that's a struggle for most people. Mm-hmm. One of the exercises in a course I do called Core Confidence. Um, well, there's three parts of it: confidence within, confidence to ride, and confidence with other people. But to start off the whole course, people identify why do you ride and what do you value in riding. And then one of the exercises is to write a personal mission statement that's very moving to them. And then one of the assignments is for them to decide how often they would read it, like every morning, you know, several times a week. They, Of course, it's personal and they choose it. But I think, I don't think, I know that when people, when people get in touch with 
their purpose and their values and they understand that the the greatest richness in their life is their own journey for all of the ups and downs that that's their personal gold no matter where they are and what they're going through that it to have some kind of a daily exercise that connects you to that sense of purpose and to your values that's moving is what can what helps us all begin to say okay now Barb if I'm starting to kind of get off on the like what are they going to think and there's you know so and so upset or you know whatever come on back baby come on back to your purpose and to what you read every day and also to what you know you can change it of course you can rewrite it if you want to every day but taking that time to do that and really connecting with your own heart and your own why and your own values is huge in being able to stay grounded amid a, you know our culture and our own past long time conditioning of wondering of getting that validation from the outside, even if it's a, our own imagination, I wonder what they're thinking. And then this, tell ourselves a story. Renee calls that, calls that the, as you know, the shitty first draft, the story that we're telling ourselves right. about a situation, which is always bad. You know, he or she thinks this, or this is going to happen. So anyway, that is an exercise that's so valuable. And if you get it, by right, I don't mean right or wrong, but when you get it to be very personal, it's very moving to read it. And it's like, yes, you know, I ride horses, you know, it's in the context of horses, but it can be with anything. You know, what I do in my life is because I want to be a light to other people, whoever I meant to be and whoever I meant to touch. That is why I do what I do. So get up and get going and get working because you have, you know, work to do. But that's the why and the values. So, Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I think you said before as horse trainers, like you, you've got to do stuff, got to do stuff. Just to, and, and it's that whole um, taking time for yourself to, you know, whether you, whether you meditate or you, you journal or you have a gratitude practice or those sorts of things. That that was nothing that was ever on my radar for many, 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 many years because it's all just go, 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 go sort of thing, and especially, in, I think, in the the horse training sphere. And it's, you know, it's it's such an amazing, such amazing things happen, I think, when you slow down and start to, to get in touch with you, you know, because I think a lot of times we, you know, I had last year I had been seeing a, or was it this year? I'd been seeing a uh, somatic experiencing therapist, you know, just try to get you out of your head and into your body. And that helped me a great deal. But when I went to that um, men's emotional resilience retreat was what was the key for me. It basically, I got everything out of that. I've been searching for, for the last three years from different, all different modalities I've been trying. And it was really about getting your head out of your head and into your into your heart, but then into the rest of your body too, to where, mm-hmm. where you've got that two-way communication and just being able to get out of your head. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, 
the, you know, the, the initial training from Dr. Lair was all about emotion and about recognizing it and deciding, you know, what do you want to do with it? And, and probably not to the extent that you're talking about, but feeling it in your body, which when you're really calm and focused, you're very comfortable in your abdominal area, which is where you carry so much of your emotion. Well, you carry a lot of your emotion, whether it's negative or negative or positive, um, which I think is so interesting because that's where we connect with a horse when we ride with our balance and feeling the movements of a horse. So getting connected, it's, I just did a, another little course called Well Connected where you are connected to your emotion and you're connected to your seat and you're connected to the movement of the horse and um, your body and the tension in your body and allowing that. It's just, it's just so much fun. It's just so much fun. That's very, very cool. Okay. We're going to hit you up with another question here because I'm, I'm dying to know what you say about this one. So what is one common myth about your profession or your field of work that you'd like to debunk? Well, this is going for its trainers a lot, but also for riders. It's a little bit different spin. But as a trainer, I always thought that what was most important to riders was if their horse was trained impeccably. And that is important because the I was getting paid money to train and show their horses. But what riders really want is they want to be connected to their horse. They want to uh, be cared about by their trainer. They want to know that they're, that they belong in the barn. They want to know, feel like they're making progress, even if it's a tiny little bit of progress. So it's going back to that internal stuff that we were just talking about, that that's what people really want. And also for riders to know the same, that it's who you are becoming and the experience that you have and the reason why you ride a horse, that those are the most important things. But if I could, if I, you know, in fact, I think about it all the time. How could I make an impact on the industry or trainers who would be interested in that kind of training to help them be more connected? Or so I guess to their own emotional, to their own emotions, but also to the emotions of their clients. And you were talking about the uh, Briggs Meyer, Myers Briggs, and, yep. um, and personalities, and different people want different things and. Just to know that people who come to a trainer's barn, it's almost sometimes like they have their heart on a platter. It's like, take me, take my horse, you know, and then they, they're so vulnerable. And what they really want is that connection in every way. And of course, they want results in the arena, but that's what they really want. And to help them to find that confidence and define that calmness and all the things that I was talking about before. So that's the myth. 
Yeah, I I definitely would have to agree with that. I know when I was training horses that it was all about the the horse doing the stuff, and I, you know, I um like stop patting your horse, you know, like we're trying to train him, you know. <laughs> they want to. They all. I, I look back and I I see old clients of mine at horse shows now that ride with other trainers, and I look at them. I'm like, I'm sorry for what I said when I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. But yeah, I do. Yeah. But I think you're right there. I think a lot of trainers haven't, I don't know, searched inside themselves first. And I think, I, I really think, and this is the way it went for me, is you kind of got to learn to have that connection with yourself before you can have that connection with others. I think if you're just up here in your head and not in your heart and in your in your body, it's hard to, and it's hard to uh, have that open energy that feel that people feel a connection from Mm -hmm. absolutely well again i come back around to um that there's no there's not a lot of discussion you talk about it which is awesome which is why i love your work um you talk about it but it's not really discussed that much or made important a lot of people don't understand the value of it but when it comes to people and clients, that's really what they want. They may not even know that, but they really want that. They want their horses trained and they want their horses cared for and all that too. But Yeah, I think it's part of it. They may not know that too, but we are mammals and we are wired for, you know, social engagement. That's that's our, one of our biggest needs. And I think sometimes we don't realize that. Speaking of relationships, I'm going to go to another question here because I'm really excited about this one too, because you're the mentally tough lady. What is your relationship like with fear? Okay, so I just got one of those body um, sensations when you just said that little chill through my body. Ooh, baby. You know, that's fear is something that's do you need, part do you need, of. Do you need a minute to sit with that? Because I'm all about sitting with your emotions these days. Don't, like, yeah. blow it off. Like, if you need to sit there and feel that i'll just i'll just describe what's going on <laughs> so it's been funny i've been watching you just sit with that for a second i've been watching barbara and she's at home and she's got um you know yeah that's, that's funny ear, she's got earphones in that come from your phone and it's been alternating earphones her right one drops out and she puts it back in and her left one drops out and she puts it back in and then her right one drops out and then her left one drops out like one stays in all the time but they're always um jumping out of there so how are you feeling now you okay i'm good good i'm good okay. fear is such an interesting topic because we all experience it and it we feel very vulnerable when we feel fearful and it's very easy to just say this feels so uncomfortable i'm out of here with this, I'm going to do something to fix it and I'm not going to think about it anymore. But I think that in the fears, when we feel them just as uncomfortable as they are, mm. there are great gifts to the fear. And by that, I mean, you know, sometimes fears are real, like I shouldn't take this horse down the trail. And that's important to recognize that and trust that and not feel like you're not a good rider because you're not going to go ahead and push through it and take this horse down the trail. 
that really shouldn't be going down the trail at this moment. So those kinds of fears are about safety and they're really important to listen to. When it comes to, you know, what decisions should I make about which barn should I be in or what should I do with my horse or um, like when I made the, the choice about not training horses anymore, those kinds of fears where your stomach can kind of turn over. I think that those are great opportunities to really look inside of yourself and decide what it is that you really want or you really think and then have the courage. You know, the other side of fear is courage and to have and to take a step into the unknown when it when you take enough time to let it kind of set or sit inside of you and you you don't try to run away from it but you you think about it and you and you know this is one of my I have a couple of things that come to mind that you know that there's really no wrong choice there's just different choices that take you down different roads the other thing is that I believe that I turn to a lot is that no matter how how big the challenges and how big the fear that there's an equal to or greater gift in walking through the fear and getting to the other side of it. And so I really live by that. I mean, I, I believe that. And so when I sit with the fear and just let it kind of wash over me and I don't run away from it, and I make a decision and knowing it's the best decision that I can make at that time, that it's probably not going to feel real warm and fuzzy, but I'm going to make a decision. I think that every time I do that or anyone does that, that we get stronger and we become more self-confident because we can't self-engineer our way out of uncertainty. It's just how our lives are. So that's what I think about fear. You were standing very Brene Brownish then. I thought you were going to almost say that's like a, a marble jar right there. And you <laughs> no, well, I think that here's what here's what I want to say about Brene and about my other training from the past is that what happened is that the initial training from LGE with Dr. Lair was about a performance on demand. It's like when you walk into the arena, it doesn't matter how you really feel, like you might have had a fight with your spouse or something like that, but you have the ability to recognize where you're at and manage your emotions and call up a positive state. You can deal with whatever was happening with your spouse when you get out of the arena, but at that moment when you need to be present with your horse and perform under pressure, that it is a skill to call up the positive emotions of calmness, focus in that situation. So I think what what helped me with Brene was that I began to understand a little bit more about the uncomfortable emotions and about, you know, the fears. 
And, you know, when Zane passed away, which was in 2000, which is way before Brene, that I became aware of her and her work, I knew I had to walk through that, that grief. I knew I had to. And it was scary and it was sad and all of those things, but I, I knew I had to. And that's where learning about recovery and, and some of those kinds of things. So studying other people has helped me become more clear about that. But I tell you, fear and feeling uncertain, it just becomes, it's become so aware through her study how much a part of our lives that is. And how important it is to be with it. Because if we don't do it, then it's going to come out in weird ways. And I see that now in other people. I see how when they start to feel uncomfortable, how they'll either lash out or they'll pretend like it doesn't exist. Or not that I'm judging them. I don't mean that or that they should do something else. I'm just more aware. And so it's all very interesting. And I tell you, the fear thing it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard for me to tell all those people coming to that retreat. They were so excited, you know, that we weren't doing it. You know, it's you're, you're the second person in a row that I've interviewed that, that, that gave me the same thing, quantified fear into two categories. Fear you should definitely listen to. And then the fear that you can work with. Like you said about, because and, and I think a lot of people with horses get them backwards. You know, like mm-hmm. the the fear they shouldn't they they should definitely listen to. Like Absolutely. this horse should not go down the trail. They're the people that go, no, I'm going to do it anyway because. And a lot of times they're worried about what their friends will think if they don't, or the other people at the barn. And so they they push through the fear they shouldn't push through, and then the ones that they can work with. They they they're kind of petrified of that, and so it's I yeah you know, I, I think a lot of times there people sometimes get the especially with their horses I think they get the fear the fear is wrong the, the one where they not a good idea should not go there <laughs> they're the ones that they and I don't think they push through I think they almost maybe have a little bit of cognitive dissonance about what could happen and just just kind of kind of go and you know i remember years ago i was in australia at a horse expo and, and i'd been putting out like videos on youtube showing me with different horses that had come in because they buck or they rare or they bolt or whatever different you know maybe dressage horses or jumping horses or something and this lady interviewed me and she said so you ride all these horses that are you know do all these crazy things how do you we're all kind of middle-aged ladies and we're kind of a bit scared of our horses how do you go about being brave and i said i'm not brave i'm thorough by the time mm-hmm. I get on them, I know the problem's solved. I'm not like, oh, yeah, this one's going to buck really bad. Hopefully it doesn't <laughs> buck me up. You know, I'm taking care of all those things mm-hmm. beforehand. You know what I mean? And I, and I, I think that a lot of times horse owners will push through those ones that they probably shouldn't push through. And then, the, like I said, the ones that are the ones that you can have a bit of a dance with, they're the ones that petrify them into it's where they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an interesting paradox that you know Warwick I'd like to say one more thing and I can first of all I completely agree with you and I think a lot of times people do those things with their horses also because they think that they should know it by now or they think their horse should be better by now so they just say 
you know, I'm just going to go kind of test it, even though their gut's telling them don't go. The other part about when it's more personal, one thing that I've learned to ask myself is, you know, did I, did I um, get this? Is this fear because I'm, I'm worried about what other people are going to think? Or is this fear something that's coming up within myself that's like an old story? You know, like I recognize this fear. I've like gone down this road before. And that, that helps me to kind of like, okay, Barb, it's really time for you to, to, to think about this a little more, uh, decide what you want to do with it, especially when it's something that's an old story within myself. And then when it has to do with what other people think, I'm getting better with that. It's not that I don't care what they think. It's just that I know I can't control it and I've done my best and that's all I can do. You know, if I give my best, that's, that's really all that there is. So, you know, it's interesting at that, um, the men's retreat, the emotional resilience retreat I went to, we've got our homework and we're still doing it. Actually, I had a Zoom call this morning. Uh, We're going through this book and it's called The Presence Process. But you have twice a day, you do this 15-minute breathing thing and and it's supposed to, you're supposed to be really present while you're doing this breathing thing and it will start to bring emotions up and they want you to, when they come up, really sit with them. And it's kind of like you said a minute ago, something about, you know, when, when, emotions come up I think a lot of people when they come up they kind of shut them down because they don't want to address them whereas I think there's a lot of um, untapped wisdom maybe in those if you can just sit with them and figure is this an old story is this what what is this where's this coming from and just sit with it rather than Mm -hmm. because we tend to get you know we tend to think emotions as being bad and you want to not stop that whereas if we never actually sit there and kind of taste it and smell it and feel it and touch it and listen to it and kind of figure out what it is. Cause I think as the saying goes, the only way out is through. And if you can sit with those things and figure out what they are, like you said, that might be an old story that you can change. It might be a lot of things, but you really don't know. But I also do think there's a lot of wisdom in, in you, you get wisdom come to you when you sit with it, you get answers and uh, that you might not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, very cool. Um, so I'm going to give. You, I'm going to ask you your last question here because this one, I can't wait to see what you hear what you say about it. <laughs> so the question is, what do you think it means to be a leader and a follower? And the other part of it is, what does leadership followership look like to you, if that's applicable? Well, how about if I start with the follower first? We all need mentors, and I think that it's important who we choose as a mentor and a mentor can be someone as much as someone like Dr. Lair, where I did so much study with, or it could be someone like Brene where I just not just, but I read or, you know, I enjoy watching your videos. You know, it's like, what, where do I seek the, the knowledge, but also the inspiration Inspiration is a really important piece. That's that that saying you can do it. You don't know, keep going. It's like feeding that that energy as I'm on the right track. So I think that it's important as a follower to 
be aware of, of seeking out people and situations and mentors that take that really feed our spirit. And so that's the first thing is to be, I don't know if it's a follower, but to be a good student forever. Regarding leadership, I think that we all in our lives, no matter if we're a leader in a company or we're a leader in a, you know, a trainer in a barn or we're a parent in our family, I think that we are impacting the lives of other people. And really, it can be with a friend as well. So I think that, um, but let's just take a little, not bigger role, but in more obvious leadership role. I think leaders really need to have a vision. You know, when we're with our horses and we go to the barn to ride, we need to have a vision of whatever it is that we want to accomplish or we want to have a vision of how we interact, you know, how we, how we are aware of the horse and how we respond but to have some clarity around that vision because with a strong, positive vision, we move towards it. We might not always get to where we want to be, but we move towards it. And when we are impacting the lives of other people, we have the more clear that we can be, the more they understand, okay, where are we going? What are we doing here? So that's one thing. The other thing is that I think it's to be, this is also very similar with horses, to be aware of other people and to be not only empathic, but I think to be empathic, you have to really see, have the ability to kind of step back into the best of your ability, see how they're doing, if they're feeling encouraged, and to help them to whatever their role is, to know their value and to be inspired by you and to have and to provide that positive energy of we can do this. And when we we have hurdles, we can we can make it through and we're going to do this together. And also that you're um, you can be yourself with me. You don't have to be someone other than you. You can make mistakes and um, we're in this together. So I think that leadership is really about having a vision and feeling the sense of team, being the person that inspires them is a great model, but yet goes through all of the ups and downs together knowing that, you know, we're, we're on this journey. It's, you know, it's like a little, it's an expansion of what we do really for ourselves. And it's such a great opportunity to make a positive impact into the lives of others and also learn from other people. So there you go. That's, that's very good. It's, What's really interesting is is sometime during that little speech right there, you you basically uh, I forget how you put it, but you said something about you know you can be yourself with me, and it kind of was 
almost coming back to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And that was that was how you told me about Brene Brown. You know, I met you at that horse expo that morning and I had to go and do one of those talks upstairs that you don't have a horse. And when I came back past, I got done with it and I came back past your booth and you said, how was it? And I said, oh, I'm exhausted. And you said, why? And I said, because I... I kind of let out some stuff I've never really let out before. And then you (laughs) sprouted this big old line about vulnerability being the superpower or something or other. And then you said some lady's name and it, that was the, that was the, Uh that was the whole Brene Brown moment right there. But it was from, Uh it was from being in front of, I don't know how many people were in that, that thing. And Sandy Collier sat in the front row. That was even worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I've had that that happen. I've done that. So that talk that I, you know, because as you know, sometimes at those horse expos, you have to do a a stand-up talk where you're not working with horses and people. And they want the, they want the, um, the title of it, you know, three months ahead of time or whatever. And one one that I've done quite a bit, it's called Everything I Learned in Life I Learned from Horses. And that's the one I did that day when I let stuff out. It almost seems like every time I do that one, I just, little little bit more out and it's been you know I, I think if I did one right now I'd really spill the beans but I did one in um I did one in Pomona so at the Western States Horse Expo in Pomona a couple of years ago and Kurt Pate was sitting in the front row and that was a bit like having Sandy sitting in the front row of that one I'm like oh god I hope I don't look like a fool doing this but but uh yeah so yeah I do think that's a that vulnerability it keeps that vulnerability keeps coming back in in all of this sort of work where you're really getting in touch with yourself and you're letting the walls down like at that that um retreat i went to what was amazing about that was when it all came down to i mean it was all about vulnerability the first night so we get there thursday night we have dinner then we go in the living room of this cabin we're in and we all sit down and the guy that's running the retreat he goes okay so what we're going to do now is go around introduce yourself Tell us what you hope to get out of the weekend. And he says, and I want you to tell us something that you're ashamed of. You've never told anybody in your entire life. I'll go first. It's like, boom, right off the bat. Oh, my God. And that was the start of the whole weekend. And and he kind of set us up to where by Saturday we could just, we could spill our guts about anything. And what I found was amazing then was when it comes down to it, everybody had the same the same shame everybody no matter what they did from the you know from the the um you know the un hostage negotiator to you know there's one guy there was a filmmaker and he was kind of really artistic and you know polar opposites of some of the others and everybody's everybody's shame was the same and it's something cathartic about letting it all out as a man Mm -hmm. in front of a group of men completely Mm -hmm. different completely different than having like a one-on-one with a therapist or something rather mm-hmm. that whole shared vulnerability thing was just yeah it's it was pretty amazing wow wow good for you what a wonderful experience oh yeah it was it was it was life-changing it was it was very 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 cool i, I and, then, and then since coming back from then i really found that there's this whole uh you know this whole men's movement which is which is compl- it's almost the complete o- opposite of what, um, you know, like they sometimes talk about toxic masculinity. And what we learned at that thing is the, 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 the masculine that, that people don't like that t- 
toxic masculinity stuff is actually all Prince energy. There's so much feminine to the, to the, the real masculine, you know, all, all the toxic masculinity is just boy masculinity. It's not real masculinity. It's, and it's really interesting when you do a bit of a deep dive into that stuff. It's uh, opened your eyes to a lot of stuff, but yeah, very, any men out there listening to this stuff, I would recommend taking a look at that book. Uh, what's it called? I've got it right here. King Warrior Magician Lover. It's very, very cool. King Warrior Magician Lover. And I can okay. see Barbara's writing that down right now. So I'm going to ask you a question that's not on your question thingy, but it's always, um, not always bothered me or not always I've thought about it, but how was, I want to ask you, how was it being inducted into the Cowgirl Hall of Fame? That's got to be pretty cool. Um, well, <laughs> when you said that, it was, I got that feeling again and tears in my eyes. Um, it's just one of the coolest moments of my life. And here's why, Warwick. It's because those women who are in that cow who are in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame, they are there because of their courage to be who they are and to bring their gifts to the world and to do what they have done. And they're just such amazing women. And that museum, if no one's ever gone there, is just to walk in there, the energy is just high, positive, wonderful energy. And then when the women are together, and then it's like a sorority of such, and then there's the new inductees at the luncheon, it's just very special. And to be, um, so I'm having a hard time, to be considered and to be given that honor is just amazing to me. And I'm so grateful and so humbled and so appreciative. And it's added such richness to my life. It's just one of those very moving moments when there's just almost no words that describe it. Well, it's the moment that keeps on giving. How long ago was that? In 2012. 2012, so that was eight years ago, and you still get emotional talking about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of them, I mean, well, all the women I know who are inductees like Sandy, you know, and friends who are uh, honorees, it's like our entire year is planned around when is the induction because we get to see each other and we get to, see, you know, greet the new honorees and just amazing women. It's so inspirational. You just walk out of that luncheon or you walk out of that museum and you just think, I, I am capable of so much more. Not that because of what I've done so far is lacking. It's not that. It's like, look at these women and like what joy and I need to get I need to get going or there's so much in life that's possible so it's very inspirational which by the way I don't know if you've studied Daniel Coyle um, one of the things that he found in top level performers is that there were three pieces and one of the pieces was it was inspiration 
If he can do it, I can do it. Uh, you're talking about the talent code? Yes. Yeah. And, and also, an awesome little book is called The Little Book of Talent. And it's a thin book. And it's like all of his tips that he condensed in like one and a half pages. I can't in, in one in one and a half pages. So it's great. I love that book, The Little Book of Talent. I did one of my podcasts was on called Books That Have Influenced Me. And so it was two hours of me talking about different books that have influenced me. All of Brene's were in there, but the talent code was in there as well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love that book. Um, you know, it was interesting when you were just talking about the inductees into the uh, Calgary Hall of Fame and you, you, you had this whole list of adjectives about these women and you were, you were just, I, so we record this audio, but I can actually see Barbara right now. We've got it, we're, it's on like a Zoom sort of a thing. And I could see Barbara and her face just lit up about when she was saying all these adjectives describing these women. And I was thinking at the time, do you realize that they all describe you too? Like that's, you just described yourself. You are, you are such an inspiration to so many people, me included. Um, I just, I just, Thank I just you. love what you're out there in the world doing. I think it's, I think it's pretty amazing stuff. Thank you, Warwick. Thank you. Thank you. I pray every morning that I can be a light and that I can encourage and I have that simple prayer. And because it so inspires me, it's, and it's not about me being recognized for it. And I'm grateful when I am and humbled. And when you ask me about, you know, what my purpose was, I really think that our, I think everyone's purpose is very similar. And that is, to grow, you know, in every way to be, to use this life to evolve spiritually, mentally, emotionally, become a better person. In fact, Jim Lehrer's uh, most current research talks about that athletes who have the reason, the purpose of becoming a better person, in addition to becoming a better athlete, are the ones that are the most successful and the, uh, the happiest, but also like a dual thing for ourselves, but also for each other. And that's what I think it's all about. And it's just such a joy. So I'm grateful if I just do it a little bit. I think you're doing it a lot. And uh, I'm sure everybody out there would agree with me. So we've been going here for about an hour and a half. So I think that's a good place to, uh, finish up chatting with you unless you'd like to regale us with another story of something. <laughs> well, I'm probably not going to tell you the thing that I've never told anybody. Okay, no, <laughs> no, because that, that, involves, that. that involves reciprocation. So the people listening would have to be prepared to spill their guts I to you. So we won't, we uh, won't do that. So if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? At barbaraschulte.com. I have a, a weekly video, and most of the time it's, it's a video. Sometimes it's a podcast. Sometimes it's an article, but it, it's, it's weekly. And that's where you can keep up with where I, where I go and the, the new projects that I do and, and what I'm up to. That's the simplest way. 
Are you on uh, social media as well? Yes, I have a Barbara Schulte Facebook page, and um, I have a Cutting Horses 101 page. So in those two places, and also I, a few years after Zane passed away, I wrote a little book called Healing Thoughts on Lost Grief and Horses. Uh, it's a little book that I have, and so I have a Facebook page for that as well. You've written several books, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I well, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say one's called The Gift, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yes. Um, for six years, I was a um, columnist in the Quarter Horse Journal, and I wrote about about basically the tenets of my training at the Human Performance Institute, and I told it in story form, and they were about 800 to 1,000 words. And so after that stint of time with the Quarter Horse Journal, I took all of those articles and put them into sections kind of by topic. So it's a, it's a book that you can open up anywhere and you, you just get a little lesson from it. And um, it's easy to read. And I think it has a lot of great information in a way that people can digest it, the, you know, the, about emotion and all that. And then I wrote a cutting book and it's called uh, Cutting uh, Horses 101. No, sorry, that's the Facebook page. It's called One Run at a Time. Sorry. And then I wrote the uh, the Healing Thoughts book about grieving. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Barbara. This has been such a pleasure to have you on here and such an honor too. All right. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be on your podcast. I admire your work so much and have enjoyed this very, very much. I wish Oregon wasn't so far away from Texas. I'd come and, I'd come and bug you. Yeah, well, I'll have to I'll have to come bug you sometime. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Barbara, and everybody listening, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you uh, next time on another episode of The Journey On Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 650 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.